Hear now the word of the Lord, first from Peter's letter, and then from the narrative of the book of Acts. 1 Peter 1, 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. And then the narrative from Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the Word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you the message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The first use of the imperative mood in the epistle now. Peter comes to give us an order, a commandment, an imperative, something we must do. And that is that we are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The overall discussion that Peter has been having here is about holiness, about the holiness of life. We saw that 
His reference is very strong to the book of Leviticus, the holiness code in the Old Testament, the ways in which God called His people to be holy as He, the Lord God, is holy. So now what Peter is calling us to is a holy love. We talked about the meaning of holiness over and over, how it means to be separated and it means to be purified. And he refers to this, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, a holy love. And he is calling upon us to love all, all the brothers. This Peter had learned himself with a lesson. It is delightful to me to observe in Scripture how the Lord brings His saints along. We saw this past summer as we went through the patriarchs of the Old Testament, how the Lord brought them along in their faith. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the others, how that God opened His mind and His heart to them by revelation and telling them and patiently bearing with their shortcomings and their sins and overriding a lot of their own will to bring about His accomplishment and His covenant purposes. And this is what the Lord does with all of us, really. Here we have what happened with Peter. Peter was very comfortable and I think probably a little proud of his own personal conformity to the righteousness righteousness code of his generation. Peter grew up in the Holy Land. He grew up with the holy people. He had gone to the synagogue. He had studied Leviticus. He knew what God had required. And he was specifically aware of the fact that in the Old Testament, God had made a distinction between the clean and the unclean, the pure and the impure. And God had done it by way of commandment, giving orders concerning animals and their suitability for food. And we read about it in Leviticus, the entire 11th chapter is a breaking out of how the Lord talks about all the animals of the earth and which ones they should eat and which ones they should not eat. And the Lord made it quite clear there of there were clean animals and unclean animals. And he talks about the fish of the sea, all the sea animals that had fins and and scales and those that didn't and those that were to be eaten and those that were not to be eaten. There's also the creeping things, which are the three categories of the book of Genesis of the animal kingdom, the creeping things on the earth, the rodents, the insects, which ones can be consumed and which ones should be avoided. Not only that, he talked a lot in that particular chapter about the importance of cleanliness, the washing with water and the contamination that comes from a dead animal and a dead carcass and on and on and on. And 
I wish we had time to preach about that because I think there are a lot of good practical lessons in it. But nevertheless, it, it shows us that God made a distinction. And he made it with respect to the animals and whether or not they should be eaten. But Peter's generation had gone a little further than that. They had moved in the direction of making distinctions among people, among humans. And whereas the Lord had called his people to come out from among the heathen, out from among the Gentiles and be holy unto him, God was calling them away from idolatry and the sexual immorality and all of the abominations of the pagans. But over time, the traditions of men began to kind of layer over and crust over the simple and straightforward teaching of the book of Leviticus. And there developed a whole scheme of social ethics which involved calling people unclean. And finally it reached a point where it was pretty much accepted by all that the Jews were not to have any dealings. It isn't that they were not to eat unclean food. They were not to eat with unclean people. And it was extremely well accepted and adopted in that culture. And the Jews had developed a pretty rigid uh, segregation between themselves and the other nations round about, the, the people groups, the Gentiles, the nations, the other nationalities and peoples. And so the Lord's going to break Peter of that bad habit. And the story is told, as it's referenced here in the book, in the book of Acts, where the ministries of Peter and Stephen and Philip and Paul, among others, are set forth, Barnabas and others. We hear about their life and ministry in the early days of the church. And an inordinate amount of time is devoted to the narrative of this particular episode. In fact, no other story in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is a series of narratives and stories, no other story comes close to having this much treatment, this much material, this length, because the entire story is told in the 10th chapter, and then it is recounted by Peter, as we just read, in the first part of the 11th chapter. That's how important this particular point was. Furthermore, when you move on through the book of Acts to Acts chapter 15, you'll find there's a council in Jerusalem that is assembled, the first council of the church. And it was concerned with this very issue. And that was the issue of what does the circumcision, that is those that were Jews, have to do with the uncircumcision, those that are Gentiles. And they had to work through and hammer it out. This was the first large hurdle that the church had to get over with respect to the gospel going to the entire world, to all the nations. The Lord had told them the gospel was to go to all the nations. The prophet had told Israel that they were to be a light to the nations. But this blindness and darkness and this 
blindness of prejudice had overcome God's people to the extent that they didn't feel the Gentiles deserved it. They weren't going to contaminate themselves by association with the Gentiles, and they weren't going to move in that direction. And the Lord had to work in Peter to make this happen. Now you notice that we read the text. Over there it says, so Peter went up to Jerusalem and the circumcised party criticized him. The circumcised party are the Jews. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Do you know what you did, Peter? You went into a Gentile home and you had fellowship with Gentiles and you of all people need to know, Peter, that the way someone comes to God is they come through circumcision. They come through obedience to the law. They come through proselyte baptism. They become first a Jew and then they can become a Christian. Don't you understand that, Peter? You of all people ought to know better. <laughs> the interesting thing to me is if you read Paul's letters, read Galatians, for example, chapter 2. <clears throat> On another occasion, Peter got into all kinds of trouble with Paul because he did that very thing. He would not eat with the Gentiles and he lapsed back into his prior way of behaving and Paul gives him the business for being a hypocrite about it. Poor Peter caught it from both sides. This was a big deal in the church to get over that prejudice, to get over that, that gulf that they had placed between themselves and thinking of themselves in exclusive terms as God's people. Now, there's a couple of things about the narrative that I want to point out. Not what we just read, it's Peter recounts it, but the actual narrative itself. It is interesting to me that Peter was having a wonderful ministry on the margins. You remember the Lord said the gospel would go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Well, Peter was right there in Jerusalem preaching on the day of Pentecost. He saw what happened. He preached. He preached Christ. He preached Christ crucified. He preached Christ raised from the dead and ascended on high. And he called upon them to repent of their sins. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them there on the day of Pentecost. And that was the genesis of the fellowship of Christ in Jerusalem. And then we hear the ministry in Judea. And then Philip taking the gospel to Samaria. And now we're on the fringes of the Gentile world, Caesarea. Caesarea was the seacoast capital of the Syrian province, ruled by Rome, out of Rome. Caesarea was named after Caesar, and it was the place where the Roman establishment, Paul would end up being in prison in Caesarea years later. But it was in Caesarea that there were Roman authorities, in this case a centurion, a man was over a cohort of maybe 600 to 1,000 when you count all of the logistical support, about 1,000 men made up a cohort. And a centurion was over 100 of them, a tenth part. And the Bible speaks a lot of centurion. Remember, Jesus dealt with a centurion. It was a centurion at the cross. It was a centurion that Paul was chained to. 
There's a, there's a, and everyone, in every case, of the, it was a centurion that, that, that witnessed the crucifixion. And in every case, the centurions come off looking pretty good. They've come off as men of objectivity, men of faith. And this was an, uh, a man here that was peculiarly turned toward God already. The Bible says that he was a devout man. He feared God and with all his household, he gave generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And he was respected in Caesarea by the Jewish community. Two things are happening. He has a vision of an angel. This man's name is Cornelius. Cornelius has a vision. Meanwhile, Peter has made it far toward the sea, and he's now at Joppa, and there he's taking a nap on a rooftop, waiting for them to cook him dinner. He was hungry, and sometimes when you're hungry, or if you're too full, you'll have a dream, and, Paul and Peter had a dream, and he saw a big sheet, like the sail of a boat, descending with all kinds of animals in it, and he was ordered to arise, kill, and eat, which a hungry man thinks that's a pretty good thing to hear. But he wouldn't do it because he saw the admixture in the group of the clean and the unclean. And this happened three times. And the Lord told him, said, what I have called unclean, uh, clean, you should not call unclean. Now, one of the interesting things about this particular trance and the conversation that takes place and the repetition of it is in verse 17 of chapter 10. It says, now, Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean. He knew there was meaning to the vision. He had heard the Lord speak to him in the vision. First as a command to rise, kill, and eat, and then as a rebuke. And Peter knew the voice of the Lord in rebuke. He had heard the Lord on one occasion say, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. And so he knew there was something disturbingly meaningful about this vision. It wasn't about the animals he began to work. And, and, and he doesn't let this go. Two verses later, it said, and while Peter was pondering the vision, there was meaning to this vision that he had that was going to, to make a difference. And it was conflicting with his upbringing, his religious training, his preconceived notions, everything he believed. It was in conflict with his devotion. He was devoted to the book of Leviticus. He knew what was clean and unclean and what should be eaten and what should not be eaten. And what does this mean? Why would the Lord say, rise, kill, and eat? And would say he's called it clean. What, what kind of conflicts might be involved here? Well, as the story goes, when the people came to him and it beckoned him to come to Caesarea, the story says he went and there he uh, met with Cornelius, who had gathered together a pretty good group of people, of relatives and friends. And um, there were many people gathered, it said. 
Uh, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. Before Peter got through the threshold of the door, even with Cornelius bowing down in front of him and worshiping him, Peter said, get up, I'm a man just like you are. Don't, don't do this. You don't need to worship me, but you do need to respect my religion, my laws, what I believe, and you know, and he recited it again. But notice this phrase here. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, another people, another ethnic group. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. He pondered the vision and finally figured it out. It wasn't about the animals. It wasn't about the dietary restrictions. It wasn't about all of the ceremonial washings and contamination. It was about the heart. It was about people. It was about loving people. And the Lord had shown him through that vision that I should not call any person unclean. And that's it. We should not look upon any person with any sort of prejudice or preconceived ideas as to whether or not they should receive the gospel. Whether or not God loves them or not. Whether or not they are elect or not. Listen to Peter. Peter opened his mouth when he began to preach there to that congregation in that house, he said, Surely I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Anyone is the object of the love of God the power of God, the conversion of the gospel. Paul spelled it out this way, it's to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. The gospel goes wide to humanity. There is no person anywhere at any time that is not the subject of the gospel message. To be hearing it Believing it. That is the heart of our missionary vision where we go around the world. It's interesting. I love this little phrase here in verse 33 of chapter 10. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Dr. F.F. F. Bruce in his commentary on the book of Acts says, what a pleasure it is for a preacher to have an audience prepared like that. <laughs> They're in the presence of the Lord. They're all there. The attendance is fine. They're in the presence of the Lord. The spirit in the atmosphere is wonderful. And they want to hear all that the Lord has commanded. Not just a little here and a little there and this and that and the good doctrines and not the hard doctrines. Not the easy things, but not the hard. They want to hear everything. That is an open and receptive heart. That's what the Lord had been 
proclaiming to his people for generations with the prophets that they would open their hearts and their minds to the Lord. And here's a house full of Gentiles in the presence of the Lord with open hearts and open minds to receive everything that the Lord had given them. Now, in Peter's account of it, as we've read, he begins preaching and he gives a narrative of, um, of his uh, gospel message. And the very last verse we read there in, in um, chapter 1 of 1 Peter says that word, the word of the Lord abides forever. That word is the gospel, the good news. And then here we have a summary of Peter preaching the good news. It don't take a minute. I want to read it. Obviously, he preached on more, but a couple of things I want to point out about it. As for the word that was sent to Israel preaching good news of peace, which is a reflection of Isaiah's message, you know, the gospel of peace, the gospel of reconciliation, the gospel of redemption, the gospel that says God heals and holds, the gospel of shalom, which means wholeness, healing, well-being. That's what the gospel is. It is, a, it is a, a, a good news that is heralded to us that tells us that our troubles are over, our battles are done, our warfare is ended, our struggles have been terminated, and all of our afflictions have been arrested by the work of God in Christ. So it's a gospel of peace, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. What a mouthful. He just covered about three or four chapters of each of the Gospels right there. That's a summary of the beginning. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. What a fantastic summary of the, the ministry of Christ. Teaching, preaching, healing, casting out demons, healing people's spiritual warfare conflicts, the torments of their soul. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Here he adopts the language of Deuteronomy, the old covenant, talking about hanging upon a tree bearing a curse, being cursed upon a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. We who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. What a wonderful summary of the post resurrection appearances of Christ in the upper room and by the seashore, all eating and drinking with the Lord after his resurrection. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge. Oh, we don't preach that too often, do we? We talk about Christ as Savior, Christ as Lord, Christ as healer, Christ as helper. Well, we really don't come to terms with what Christ's ministry is all about till we see that He is the sovereign judge and there is a verdict hanging over us, a verdict of guilty, condemned. And that only Christ can bear the penalty of that verdict in His own body on the tree bearing our sins. So Peter's preaching the gospel to these people and 
says he's appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Repentance and faith. Believe. Repent. Now notice when Peter gives his account of that, he talks about how that as he began to speak, in chapter 10 I read you a summary of his sermon, but now in 11 when he's telling the story, he said he'd just begun to preach. And the Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. In other words, Peter saw in his experience at the household of Cornelius in Caesarea on that day a microcosm of what had happened in Jerusalem on Pentecost. He's preaching the gospel. The crucified raised Christ. The people are hearing and they are repenting. It says here, God granted them repentance to life. They're repenting and they're believing and the Spirit of God is descending. The exact same thing that happened in Jerusalem to the Jews, the men of Israel on Pentecost. And that was the authentication. That was the certification that God was doing the same thing to the Gentiles as He had done to the Jews on prior occasion, using the same man to preach the same gospel and God giving them the same response. And I'll just finish here with verse 18. This is the brothers that had been critical, the circumcision party. These are the people that are hearing um, Peter's testimony back in Jerusalem when he's telling about what happened in Caesarea. And listen to this response. And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God. Sometimes I think that's what we need to do. Fall silent. 